Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everybody here this morning. It's good to have old friends here with us today. Pastor Al and Carolyn, for 11 years, they put up with me, and so uh, it's good to have them here with us today. And good to have you here. It's good to have you back, Jerry. It's good to have you here. We're in Matthew chapter 18 this morning, and we've been working our way through Matthew, and so we're going to read verses 15 through 20 in Matthew chapter 18, and the title of the message is Restoration. Restoration. The scripture says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word. In the the movie, uh, The Best of Enemies... Anna, Ann Atwater is a leader in Operation Breakthrough, an organization to try to help people escape poverty. She's trying to convince the local housing authority uh, to provide better housing conditions to the poor residents of Durham, North Carolina. Ann Atwater is a black woman, and she is opposed by many in the community, uh, and they don't want her to do anything about this. They want people to keep living in these slums. Uh, One of her enemies uh, is a man named C.P. Ellis. And C.P. Ellis is the exalted grand cyclops of the local chapter of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, And so they're always at odds with each other about these local issues. Well, when the local school that Ann's daughter burned down, not didn't burn down, but but had a fire and was greatly damaged... uh, Durham is faced with the situation of whether to send the children to the school in the very damaged building or basically to integrate uh, the other school. And the town is deeply divided about this issue. They call an outside negotiator to bring the town together to discuss uh, integration and other issues and to seek to solve this specific problem of the damaged school. The mission, uh, the... the, uh, they, they have a series of two-week uh, meetings where they meet five nights a week for two weeks to try to bring teams together from the opposite sides to get to know each other and talk to each other. The meeting is called a charrette. Uh, the meeting had two chairs. The two chairs were Ann Atwater, leader in Operation Breakthrough, and C.P. Ellis, exalted grand cyclops of the local Ku Klux Klan. Now, intense meetings for two weeks forced enemies, people on opposing sides, into situations where they had to get to know each other a little better. And during this time, there were some wonderful acts of kindness by Ann Atwater toward C.P. Ellis and his family. There were also acts of racism and uh, threats and violence. 
After the two weeks, there came a day for decision to be made on whether to integrate the local school, and the leadership of the committee was basically divided. Those opposed to the integration of the school thought they had enough votes to stop it from happening. But when it came time for C.P. Ellis to vote, he announced that all he had believed before was wrong. He was resigning as exalted grand cyclops of the local Ku Klux Klan, and then he dramatically tore up his Klan membership card before the whole group. And he cast then the leading vote that would enable the school to be integrated in that community, to, to bring this community together. Now, the commu- now, now as, when you see movies, you know there's a lot of dramatized things in it. But basically, this was a true story. This is an actual event that happened in Durham, North Carolina. Ann Otwater and C.P. Ellis, the two principals involved who chaired the charrette, they became friends. And, and they jointly spoke about what had happened in Durham until C.P. Ellis died in 2007 and then Ann Atwater died in 2016. They became friends through this process where they came together, they talked to each other, and they got to know each other. You see, if we talk about each other instead of to each other, barriers will forever remain barriers and they will never be broken down. But when you talk and seek to understand, wonderful things can happen if you are open and you are willing. Even among brothers and sisters in Christ, among fellow uh, believers, when they talk about each other instead of to each other, great damage can be done to the body of Christ and to the witness of a church and a community. In this passage of Matthew, Jesus is instructing his disciples how to deal with situations where Christians can be at odds with each other. Jesus talks about how to deal uh, where, where wrongs are done by someone to, specifically to another person or where wrongs are done by someone uh, that affects the entire church. And Jesus is telling us in this passage of Scripture how, uh, to do all we can to restore the one who does wrong uh, to restore him to the community of the believers. That's the point of this passage of Scripture. Now, if you read this passage of Scripture and you somehow think Jesus has somehow given some kind of formula for sending believers uh, to cleanse the church, you miss the point. Because the point is not about thrusting people out of the church. The, po- the point is restoring people who are not right with God to himself and to his people. You see, this passage of Scripture teaches us God's way of how to restore wayward people to Him and to each other as the family of God. The passage of Scripture teaches us this timeless truth. God's people seek to help each other when we turn from, to help each other turn from sins so we can stay close to God and one another. God's people seek to help each other turn from sins so we can stay close to God and one another. You see, the truth is, we got to help each other walk with God. I can't do that without you, and you can't do that without me. Now, sometimes we don't see the sins that hinder us, or the specific sin that hinders us from walking with God. 
Also, if we wrong someone else and our relationship with them is broken, we need to know that walking with God means being right with each other. Walking with God means being right with each other as, as much as is possible. You cannot walk with God and be carrying sin around with you. You cannot carry hatred or animosity or bitterness toward others and walk with God. You can't do it. It's impossible. Believers have a responsibility to walk in harmony uh, with others and especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if there are sins in our lives and those relationships are somehow broken, we need to do everything we can to mend those relationships and to help each other to, to walk with God. Now Jesus gives us direction in this passage of scripture about how to do that. How do, you, how do you draw someone back in that, that is somehow walking away from God? Well, first of all, the first thing he tells us is this. Go directly to the person who sinned against you to seek to reconcile your relationship. Go directly to the person who sinned against you to, to seek to reconcile the relationship. Now, in Matthew 18, as we've worked through it, in verses 10 through 14, Jesus says, Don't despise the little ones. But if they are lost, you go out and you search for them. And I think chapter uh, verse 15 fits into that. If a brother or sister has sinned against you, you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If you know someone they've sinned against you, you know specifically something that they've done wrong. Not something that you just feel slighted for. Not something that's just kind of... Just kind of uh, uh, a misunderstanding, but if, you, if you're aware that there is sin, specific sin, you're to go to that person and uh, show them his fault. Uh, you are to go to him. Uh, there's a question of whether against you is part of the passage or not. You'll read some translations that, that have it and some that don't. I think the New American Standards doesn't have it and the English Standard Version does have it. And, and I, think, I think it basically, I think it's supposed to be there. It's part of the original. Uh, that's not to say that if someone is committing an obvious or open sin that's harming them or the witness of the church, you shouldn't confront them. But it is to say we're not to be meddlers. We're not to go around just meddling in people's lives trying to tell them how to live. But if the sin is against you, or the sin is so obvious that you know that sin has occurred, you and I need to address it when we see that in someone else's life. It says, we are to go to that person. We are to go to that person. You're not to wait for them to come to you. You are to go to them. You're not to go to the pastor. You're not to go to... uh, to uh, your friends and talk about the sin. Uh, You're not to try to get people to see your point of view and side with you. You are to go to that person. You are to go to that person. And if you have not gone to that person, unless there might be some danger or temptation, if you went to that person, but if you, if if basically, if you've not gone directly to that person first, then if you talk to someone else, you're sinning, you're sinning against God. You're sinning against God. You see, personal things, sins that we know are obvious, we need to handle face-to-face, person-to-person. And don't send them an email. Anyway, don't send them an email. 
You are to go to them. You are to go to that person directly. And you're to go with humility. Paul tells us in Galatians 6.1, If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. You see, we're to go to that person, to him or her, not to vindicate ourselves uh, because we've been wronged, not to beat them over the head with some kind of, of, uh, of uh, sense of spiritual superiority that we know, know more than them. We're to go to them because we love them and we are concerned for them. And we want them to walk with God and to be right with God's people. Uh, if you can't do that, if you can't go in humility, if you, if you can't do it, don't go. It's as simple as that. It says you are to show that person. It's not just naming the fault, but it's kind of showing that person his fault. Helping them understand what they, why they did what they did was wrong. Might not be an easy process. Uh, but this is our responsibility as, as believers to one another. And Jesus said, if they listen to you, if you go to them and they listen to you, you have won your brother. Now, I want you to understand, I don't think this is mainly just a one-time thing. It's, it, I think it means you go to them until it doesn't do any good to go to them. You go to them if you have no sense of, being, of making any progress in, in, the, in what's going on. Uh, it's not just go to them once and give them one shot and forget it. It's show them their fault. Uh, and most of the time, most of the time, if I have a problem with you or you have a problem with me and we come together and we talk it through, most of the time, the Lord's going to help us to work it out. The Lord's going to help us to work it out. If you see something in my life, some sin that's obvious, that's open, something that I did and I wronged you and you come to me, I hope I'm a spiritually enough mature person to say, you're right, I shouldn't have done that. I've had to do that in my life. I remember one time a friend of mine said uh, something to Carla that he should not have said. It was in a, in a group kind of a context. He thought he was being funny, but it was not good. And so I didn't immediately address it in the group, but a couple days later I went and said, you know, you shouldn't have said that. And he said, you know, you're right, I shouldn't have said that. We've all had to do those kind of things. And most of the time... It works out. We restore our relationship to our brother and help them to restore their relationship to the Lord. And he said, you have gained your brother. You have gained your brother. You go directly to the person who sinned against you. You seek to reconcile your relationship with that person. But what if going to that person individually does not result in winning your brother or sister? You feel like even though you've tried, the person is not comprehending or listening. You're getting nowhere. So what do you do? Do you just give up? You just give up? Uh, no. You take a, take a step. You don't just give up. You want them to be right with God and right with, uh, each, uh, right with the people of the church. And so you take the next step. You go then to the person... Go then to the person who sinned against you with two or three neutral observers to try to seek to reconcile your relationship with the person. Now, most of the time, things are going to work out when you go to, go to someone individually. But sometimes, just like in a marriage, where some differences seem unsolvable, you ask someone else to help you work through it. 
Jesus said, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the person does not listen, you take two or three people along with you. You keep the problem to as few people as possible. The less people know about it, the better when it gets solved. Who do you take? You don't take people whom you've told your side of the story uh, so they can gang up on the person. That's not how you do it. You don't take your best friends who always sides with you in every disagreement. You take people that walk with God and who can be impartial. Impartial. I made up a new word anyway. Uh, you take people with who can be impartial and you, the, and spiritual people, people who walk with God. You take those kind of people. Now, I don't think you even tell them your side of the story, but you ask them to go with you and you share with them what's happened. And the other person can share with them his or her side. Because your desire is not to win an argument. Your desire is not to show you are right. Your desire is to restore a brother or sister in Christ to yourself and to the family of God. You take people who, are, who will be respected by the one you are talking to. If they walk with God, they'll be able to discern what is happening and what needs to be done. The purpose is to restore the person and his people. Restoration is always the goal. Restoration is always the goal. There are a couple of other reasons that you take uh, others with you. One is so that they will be impartial and the thing that you thought was sin, sin or a sinful way of life It won't just be your opinion, but they think it's sin too. You see, you take others with you just in case you might be wrong. Just in case you might be wrong. You ever been wrong? Well, maybe probably so. So you take other people so in case you aren't seeing things the way you should, they'll help you. Help you. uh, And help the other person to see from God's perspective. The other reason that you take two or three others with you is that if the person refuses to listen and forsake his or her sin, you have others to testify to that ongoing sin. You go to the person who sinned against you with two or three neutral observers to seek to reconcile your relationship with the person. So what if you do that, you've gone individually... And you're not making progress. And then you take others. It might be a couple meetings. You take others. And then you, you don't think there's any progress. And there's kind of a consensus that what has happened should not have happened. That there has been sin. That it needs to be dealt with. And the person still doesn't turn from sin. And still is, uh, is not getting right with God. The scripture, do you just give up? That's all we can do? No. You still seek restoration, and there's one final step. You go to the congregation to seek for repentance and reconciliation of the sinning brother or sister. Now, if the person refuses to give up an obvious and ongoing sin, you take it to the congregation, you take it to the church. The neutral observers and you together inform the church of the brother or sister's lack of repentance and restoration, and the church as a body tries to bring this brother or sister to restoration. 
But if the person refuses to listen to the church, the Scripture says the church needs to treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. The purpose is restoration. Remember that. The purpose is restoration. But if you refuse to listen even to the congregation as a whole, you treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector. What does that mean? What does it mean to treat someone like a Gentile and a tax collector? Well, if a person is committing obvious, open, and continual sin, that person is in eternal danger. If a person is committing obvious and open uh, sin and continual sin, that person is eternal danger. Their soul is in danger. You see, you and I as believers are saved from sin. I got to sing with this, this day, these days. Because so many people think you're saved from hell. No. Hell is just the end result of sin. We're not saved so that we won't go to hell. We're saved from sin that we might live for the glory of God. Now we're saved from sin and we're, and we're still being saved from sin. None of us are free from sin. And so we have to continually be repenting and turning to God. But we're, we're, we're saved from sin. And so what that means, it doesn't mean we'll be sinless, but it means we'll take sin seriously. We will not want to sin. We will seek to forsake known sin and seek to live lives free of sin. But if a person does not exhibit a desire to turn from sin, the church needs to help that person see that they might not be saved. They might not belong to Jesus. That, it's, 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 a, it's kind of a drastic measure, but the purpose is still restoration. See, if a person says, I know Jesus, but they don't want to turn from sin, they need to ask themselves if they know Jesus or not. They need to ask themselves if they know Jesus or not. We seek to say to that person, if they continue an obvious, open, and continual sin, they are in great danger, eternal danger, and they better be saved. They better turn from that sin. You see, I do believe in the, in the doctrine of eternal security. I believe if a person really believes, that person is secure forever. But I'm telling you, I don't believe going through shallow kind of things, just praying a prayer somewhere when you were six years old, and then living any way you want to live without living God's way, I don't believe that person is really saved. And that might sound harsh, but we live in too many people think, I can live in you, I can just pray this little prayer and I'll be okay forever. No. If you don't love the Lord and you don't want to live His way, you've got to ask yourself, Am I, do I really belong to Him? And you probably don't if you don't want to live His way. And so we're, we're trying to help a person that's to see, to, to, to see maybe dramatically, maybe I'm not right with God. Maybe, do I really want to live the way that God wants to live? We're doing this for their good and for their redemption and deliverance. You see, we're talking about people's eternities here. We're talking about, we're talking about people if they know Jesus or not. And so we have to take seriously what the Bible teaches us. And the purpose is restoration. Even in this final kind of step... The purpose is restoration. To try to help the people to see where they really stand with God. 
Now, this is not easy. And I'll tell you, I've never had to do this in any church I've ever passed go to the end. I've had to confront people. Sometimes I've had to involve other people. I've never had to go to this final drastic kind of step. A lot of times, people before that, they just kind of left. And I didn't want them to leave, but they just kind of left because they didn't, they didn't want to go through this process. It's a hard process. It's a difficult process. It's, 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 the final step is kind of a drastic step. And so look what the scripture says in this passage. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, we remember Jesus telling that to Peter in chapter 16. And now he's telling it to the church. But he's specifically telling about them about this if they have to go through this drastic kind of process. And it says the Lord's going to be with us. If we agree on earth... Uh, about anything, if we loose something on earth, it's going to be loose in heaven. If we, uh, if we bind something, it's going to be bound in heaven. If we agree on anything we ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. It promises the presence of Jesus as we go through this whole process. He's going to be with us. He's going to help us. You know, the, uh, the, the verse in verse 19, it's one of the most misused verses of the Bible. It says, if you agree on earth about anything they ask, it'll be done for you. So I'd like that you'd all agree with me that I need a new Jaguar. No, is that what that means? Of course, that's not what that means. It's basically talking about on anything, and it uses a term that has to do with a judicial kind of charge. If you agree on anything, and it's kind of a business transaction thing, <coughs> and it's talking about specifically you're agreeing that you need to deal with this person because there's sin that they're not turning from. It says the Lord will be with you. If you agree, you come in harmony. You're not fighting. It's not, it's not you know, you have half the people thinking this or half the people. But you, everybody knows this is sin and everybody knows this needs to be dealt with. It will be done for you by my Father in heaven. If we agree anything is so serious as a body of believers, God will bless this. And the word agreement is very interesting. It's the, it's, we get the word symphony from it. It's the, it's, we get the, it's the, the Greek word is the word we use for symphony, where people are, are harmonizing and coming together and they're one. There's harmony if they agree that the person must be dealt with to earn from this end. And then there's one final kind of promise for those who will follow this painful process and truly seek restoration and redemption. And repentance. And this is the, this is the process. Jesus says in verse 20. Where two or three are gathered in my name. There am I among them. Where two or three are gathered in my name. You see Jesus is here. To help us with this painful process. That seeks restoration and repentance. Even when the restoration is refused. Jesus is with us. Now, we often use this verse to describe the Lord's presence whenever His people gather together, and I think that's valid. But also, I think more than that, it's the Lord promising His presence among His people when they do hard things, and they go through difficult processes of dealing with unrepentant sin. You see, I I believe that God is with His people in a special way when they are especially going through hard times and doing difficult things. I think the Lord is with me and you as believers all the time. I do believe that. But 
isn't there a sense when you're going through something difficult and tough as a church or as an individual that you especially sense the presence of God? That you especially sense the presence of God? The scripture says God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You see, God doesn't call us to do easy things and have easy lives. Sometimes he calls us to do very difficult things. Sometimes he calls us to confront people in a way we don't want to do that. And we don't do it because we're self-righteous and we know better than anybody else. We do that because we love the person and we want them to be right with God. If we don't have that attitude, forget it. If we don't have an attitude of humility that says, I could fall, this could be me that's in this sin, we need to forget it. But if we, in love and humility, go to our brothers to seek for their good and their restoration and their repentance, if we do that difficult thing, we are promised the presence of the Lord as we do it individually, as we do it in a small group, or as we do it as a congregation. You see, we need to help each other walk with God. We can't do that if we talk to each other Uh, talk about each other instead of to each other. It's true, sometimes repentance and uh, restoration is is not possible. It's not impossible, but it's not possible because the person we go to has to be willing to repent and be restored. Sometimes, you know, it's not possible. The Bible says, live at peace with all men as much as it is possible. There are some people that don't want you to live in peace with them. And you've done everything you can to live in peace, but... They don't want that. But we need to make sure we've done everything we can to help a person be restored, to to mend relationships. Uh, We need to do, we've done all that we can to reconcile with others and help others to walk in repentance with God. You see, we have to help each other walk with God. I need you and you need me. C.P. Ellis and Ann Atwater were forced to talk to each other. But when they did, a beautiful kind of thing happened. Sometimes we have to be forceful in talking to a brother or sister who are straying. Others have had to be forceful with us. I remember others having to be forceful with me at the time I was in college and things weren't going like I thought they should and I wasn't fulfilling my responsibilities as a leader in this group that I was a part of. And... and the leader, the, the director came to me and says, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. What's going on here in your life? And he was absolutely right. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. Others had to deal forcefully with me. Sometimes I have to be forceful and confront a person. But we do that because we want them to walk with God and we want to keep walking with them. It's worth it, isn't it? If you help me And I help you to walk with God, to love Him, to live for Him, to serve Him. It's worth it, even if it's a hard thing that I have to go through to get there. God's people seek to help each other turn from sin so we can stay close to God and to one another. Today, where are you at with the Lord? Maybe 
no one else sees something in your life that's not right, but you know there's something there and you need to say, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me, forgive me. Don't put it off, do it this very morning. In a moment, as we sing our final song, Damon and Kathy will be at the back. If anyone needs to talk to someone or pray with something about something that's going on in their life, maybe it has something to do with what I've preached today. Maybe it has something to do with someone else, but you need someone to pray with you or talk with you. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ. And you realize, I don't know Jesus. I haven't been saved from sin. And I want to be saved from sin. I want to ask Jesus. uh, I want to begin to follow Jesus and, and put my trust and faith in him this day. There'll be people here today that can help you if you need to do that. Our Father, we love you. We seek your face. We, we praise you that you are a God who went to every length to find us. Father, you, Jesus, you left the glory of heaven to become a baby, to live a perfect life, to be crucified on the cross in our place for our sins. You went to every length to to call us to Yourself and to make us Your children. Lord, help us so to care about others that we would want that same thing for them. Help us to love and to search and to speak the truth in love even when it's difficult. Lord, draw us to Yourself. Do in our lives what only You can do, what You want to do in this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.